Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so glad you are here. Whether you are at our Cove campus or watching online or here downtown, I'm just thrilled to get an opportunity to open God's word with you this morning. If you have a copy of God's word, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter nine, Matthew chapter nine. And in a moment, we're gonna start in verse 27. And I wanna tell you where we're going this morning. I have a real heart for you that you and I would just see the freeing power that comes from faith. And before we kind of think about the freedom that faith offers, it's important to clarify where that faith comes from and who that faith is in. Because it's, it's a certain kind of faith that brings real freedom in our lives. It's not a faith in a system. It's not a faith in a way of life. It's not a faith that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. It's not a faith in a family or a friend or a lifestyle change. And I'll just say this, it's not even faith in ourselves that we can do something miraculous that really brings the change that we most need in our life. No, the Bible holds out something more significant for us. The Bible says that it is faith in the person and the work in Jesus Christ on our behalf that begins to transform our hearts and our life. Real faith, faith that brings freedom, a faith that pleases God is faith ultimately in his son, Jesus. Faith is best described in Hebrews chapter 11, one this way. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And it's this kind of faith that we will see today. And as Jesus, and what I wanna do is I wanna read Matthew chapter nine, verses 27 through 20 or 33 this morning. And I know it may have just gone blank on the screens. Go ahead and you can use your phones or your Bibles and we'll dive in. Hopefully at Cove, you're still seeing this. But Matthew chapter nine, verses 27 through 33 says this. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him crying out loud, have mercy on us, son of David. When they entered the house, the blind men came to him and Jesus said to them, do you believe I am able to do this? They said to him, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes saying, according to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were open and Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about it. But they went away and they spread his fame throughout all the district. As they were going away, behold, a demon oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke and the crowds marveled saying, never have we seen anything like this in all of Israel. In this passage, um, kind of prior to this, we see Jesus has performed two amazing miracles. We see last week, Ross talked about that Jesus performed this miracle of healing um, this girl who had been sick for, or this woman who had been sick for 12 years, and then also raising Jairus' daughter from the dead. It's interesting because the girl who had been sick for 10 years, the best we can tell is she was unclean. And she makes her way to Jesus, right? And as she makes her way to Jesus, her faith tells her, if I can just touch her, his, the garments of his cloak, then I will be healed. And she reaches out and, her, and it says the power went out from Jesus and her faith healed her. But Jesus, as he always does, asks this question, right? He strengthens her faith. He comes to her and says, who touched me? 
The disciples react funny because they say, well, everyone's touching you, Jesus. But he wants her faith to go public because faith, real faith, sincere faith is never just private, it's always public. So he stops the crowd in what can seem kind of reckless, right? Because he's on his way to heal a sick girl. And the woman's faith is made public in that moment. And moving from there, he gets news that Jairus' daughter is dead. His heart is crushed. For a lifetime of sickness was one, and for the other, her life was just beginning. But yet Jesus goes into the room where the little girl lied dead and spoke to her as a father does a child and says, arise, and she was resurrected from the dead. And it's in the backdrop of those two stories that we come to this story today. We see that Jesus is most likely going to Peter's house. Maybe he's going to rest. Maybe he's going to be with his disciples. But on his way to Peter's house, there are two blind men who cry out and they say, son of David, have mercy on us. Now it's interesting because we're told from Matthew that Jesus just passes by them. And this seems almost counterintuitive of what we're used to seeing from Jesus in the scriptures, right? Often when Jesus sees someone who's sick, where he comes with to someone who's oppressed, we see that Jesus sees them and he has what? Compassion on them. But yet with this blind man, it's different. He walks by them. He's leading them on a journey, yet they have the right prayer in this moment. They say, have mercy on us. They don't say, give, they say, give us what we don't deserve, have mercy. And most likely a cry for Jesus's mercy is a cry that they would be healed. They are blind. They need God to work here in this moment. Some translations say that they come to Jesus and they say, have a heart for us. Isn't that what we all long for in our prayers? Isn't that at the bottom of our prayers when we get to kind of the, the bottom of the place that we're praying for, really what we're asking God is, God, will your heart turn towards me? God, will you see me in my weakness? God, will you see me in my distress? God, will you see me in my pain? And will your heart turn towards me? The blind man recognized the character of the one who is the son of God. And they know there's something about his character, something about who he is, that if he will have a heart for them, he will heal them. He will change them. He will transform them. In the Old Testament, beginning the book of Genesis, we often see the Old Testament writers refer to God as who? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? A God who keeps his covenant. And just that fact that God is referred to as a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is a great encouragement to us today. I don't know if you saw it, but we saying, I need the same God of Jacob to do something in my life. Friends, if, if you read through scripture, what you'll see is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob made a mess of their lives. They often took matters into their own hands. They often tried to play the part of God when things weren't going the way they wanted. Yet God was faithful to them. God pursued them. God kept his covenant with them. Even in their sin and their mess, God had mercy on them. And it's the same God that the blind men are pleading to in this passage. Later, after the book of Genesis in Exodus, we're told more about God's character as Moses meets with God on Sinai. He's broken the tablets out of anger, but he's, he's kind of recrafting them, right? And in Exodus chapter 34, verses five through eight, listen to how God is described. 
the Lord descended in a cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping his steadfast love for generations, thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the father and the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. As Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and then he worshiped. What I love about that passage is this idea that, that there's something about God's character and God's grace and God's mercy. Yes, it says he'll visit the iniquity of his sins to the third and fourth generations, but notice how long his steadfast love lasts for thousands of generations. That's the God that the blind men are crying out to, the merciful, slow to anger, steadfast in love and faithfulness, God. They are speaking to the heart of Christ for sufferers and sinners. And the next words in the prayer are so marvelous. There's something I've really enjoyed this week. They say, have mercy on us, O son of David. This may not really seem like a big deal to us reading this text 2,000 years later. If you've been in church for any amount of time, that's not a surprise to you, right? That Jesus is linked to King David. But for those in Israel, this was so significant. This is so significant. These two blind men are the first to recognize the royal lineage of Jesus in the whole gospel of Matthew. Like Matthew starts his gospel with a genealogy. And I hope you remember that. Ross said it was his goal to make genealogies the favorite part of your Bible reading. And maybe it's been there. Maybe you've been like, I can't get over Matthew chapter one, right? But all of a sudden Matthew says that Jesus was the son of David in Matthew one. And it's not till Matthew nine that we see anyone recognize Jesus as the son of David again. Israel has been looking forward to this royal figure coming. They've been longing for him to come. They've asked for him to come. And it's, it's here that these two blind men see that the son of David has come. Now they thought the son of David was gonna come and establish his kingdom, right? They thought the son of David was gonna defeat their greatest enemy, Rome. That he was gonna finally take Roman oppression and smite it once and for all. But this is something more that Jesus is doing. He's come to establish the kingdom of God. He's come to overthrow the hearts of sinners and sufferers. He's come to do a greater work in his people. And in Matthew's gospel, in the ninth chapter, two blind men are the first to see Jesus's royalty. I mean, this is so much for us in this passage. As I've thought through this passage this week, I've really enjoyed this idea. And I've hoped you'll kind of enjoy it as much as I have because it's caused me to be, to kind of ask this question and it's been prodding and poking at my heart all week. Could it be that the place we're lacking the most, the place we feel the weakest, the very thing in our lives that brings the most pain and shame is the exact area where we are allowed to see Jesus for who he truly is to even see Jesus and experience Jesus in ways nobody else really is able to do it? Could it be that very thing, that thing that is almost unspeakable at times where the spirit of God just has to make intercession for us on our behalf is the place that allows us to see God even more 
I mean, the fact that these men who are blind see Jesus as the son of David, to see his true royalty is a great encouragement. It wasn't the disciples who called him the son of David first. It's not the religious leaders who longed for him to come all these years who declare that he's the son of David first. No, ready? It was the blind men who saw. I mean, that is profound. And I get really excited about what that means for you and really excited about what that means for me. That if we could pay attention to those places where we're lacking, where we feel most desperate, where we feel bankrupt, it's those places that can serve as some of the greatest conduits of God's grace and mercy in our own lives. And those places that are some of the greatest conduits of God's grace and mercy to flow out of our lives. I've experienced this in my own life. I hope you know this by now, but I really enjoy people. Like I love people. If you are downtown or if you're at Cove or watching online and I run into you in Huntsville, I am genuinely pumped when I see you walk into the room. I love Sundays because it's God's people gathering together and worshiping the Lord. And people won't always ask me this, but they'll ask my wife. They'll say, has he always been like this? Like, is he like this at home? And, and, and the reality is no, I haven't. Before I came to faith in Christ at 15 years old, I was lonely. I was desperate. I was isolated from community. I didn't like myself, and I wondered, would anyone ever really love me? And then hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ and realizing that he had unconditional love and acceptance for me, and that if I would believe the gospel and repent of my sin and turn to Jesus, he would change everything. That transformed me. Because what happened is when I was 15 years old, I came to saving faith in Jesus. And that same God of Jacob saved me. He changed my life. And all of a sudden, someone who probably was the kid that you wouldn't want your kids to hang out with at school became the kid who loved people the way that he had been loved by Jesus. I mean, that's what the gospel does. That's the place I was lacking the most. That was the place of my greatest deficit. That was the place of my greatest need. And Jesus saw me. He had compassion for me. As, as the scripture would say, he had a heart for me and he transformed me. So no, I have not always been like that. But by the grace of God, I am who I am, right? I'm a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And this is what I would say, friends. This is exactly what Jesus loves to do. I think of all the other suffering I've experienced in my life, whether it was parents who divorced when I was at a young age, whether it was betrayal by friendships, whether it was disappointment in work, whether it was infertility or miscarriages, whether it was a cornea disease or death in the family. And I think about that and, and there are so many of those things that I don't want for my kids and I definitely don't want for you. But I also know this, I wouldn't trade any of it for any reason whatsoever because in those moments, I have experienced Jesus in profound ways. And maybe it's something that you and I could have in common this morning. Maybe you're just becoming aware of it. Maybe it's those places where you wonder, God, like, why is this happening? God, if I read scripture and I see how you heal, right? We're just saying, God, you were a healer, then you're a healer now, but I'm not experiencing that healing. What does that mean? 
God, why did you allow this to take place? God, why is this suffering coming my way? Why is this disappointment coming this way? Maybe you and I could ask a different question. Maybe we say, God, how might I see you better because of this in my life? Jesus, how might I know you more? This is when we ask that question, there's something really special begins to be birthed in our hearts and that's the faith that brings freedom. Peter would later write about this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses three through nine. And he says this, if you got your Bibles, look at this with me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to an inheritance. Listen to this inheritance that you have, that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you by God's power. And it's being guarded, look, through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, the tested of the genuineness of your faith that's more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor of the revelation of Jesus Christ. And here it is. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and that's filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the freedom of your, or the salvation of your souls. I love what this passage says. It says, God being rich in mercy caused you to be born again to a living hope. Friends, your hope is not dead. Your hope is not buried in the ground somewhere. No, your hope is alive. And it's that rebirth, that spiritual rebirth that allows us to have faith. And that faith is more precious than anything you can obtain on earth. More pre- precious than gold. In other words, more precious than wealth, more precious than possessions, more precious than the greatest house you could ever imagine. It's more precious than anything you can obtain on earth. Why? Because that faith in the person of Jesus Christ, man, it's freeing. And I love what else this passage says. It says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you don't not see him now, you believe in him and you rejoice in him with this inexpressible joy. Sometimes I think people's greatest objection to following Jesus is they can't see him. Say, if he just showed me a sign, if I could just see Jesus, if I could just touch him. But very few people got to do that, right? I mean, there's only a period of 30 somewhat years that people are seeing and touching and experiencing Jesus. From that point on, throughout all of history and Christianity, we have something in common with the readers that Peter is writing to, that we have not seen Jesus, but we love him. I mean, the blind men, they could not see Jesus, but they love him. It's what we talked about at the beginning of this message. Hebrews 11.1 says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. May we have that kind of gift of faith from God today. Because friends, it's that kind of faith we need for the journey. I mean, the blind men, they're on a journey. They enter the house of Jesus and he does what he often does. He asks them a question. 
He says simply, as they ask him to heal them, he says, do you believe I can do this? I mean, this can be surprising in some ways at first read. They called out to him. They said, have mercy on us. They put themselves at great risk by saying, son of David. They followed him into the house and he says, are you sure? Like, are you sure I can do this? And what he's doing here is he's strengthening their faith. He's strengthening their hearts. His question is not there to raise doubts in their heart. No, it's actually to raise confidence in who he is. It's not the measure of faith in question. He doesn't say, hey, are you sure you have enough faith that I can do this? Or are you sure that your faith is big enough? No, remember just before this, he says, if you have the faith of what mustard seed, you can move mountains because the importance of faith, the faith that brings freedom is ultimately not the measure of faith, right? It's the faith in Jesus Christ, the resurrected one, the one who changes hearts and lives. He simply says, do you believe I can do this? And their response is profoundly beautiful. Two words, yes, Lord. Hmm. To God we grant us faith to have that kind of response to Jesus today. Because here's what that does. The yes puts them face to face with Jesus, but the Lord puts them at his feet. And that should be the posture of every response we have to Jesus. Our yes should be on the table as we experienced his nearness, right? And that, that nearness is often experienced through what? Reading the Bible and prayer. So we say, yes, Lord, I'm here today. I'm making myself available to you and I'm enjoying your nearness. But the Lord puts us at his feet and we say, but God, I submit my whole life to you. This is the place we must come when it comes to matters of faith. faith. And Jesus does something that's really heartfelt. It says he touches their eyes. Now we know he didn't have to touch their eyes, right? With the paralytic, just a chapter earlier, he just says, son, your sins are forgiven. And then he heals the man. The man gets his mat and walks. To touch a blind person's eyes or someone with eye disease in this day and time was just as powerful as touching someone with leprosy. People would have thought Jesus was unclean. This is not what the blind man asked him to do, by the way. He does more. And we can be sure of this, that the place that we feel oppression, the faith place that we feel the most defeat is exactly the place that Jesus loves and comes and touch. He doesn't merely talk to us. He doesn't just give us facts, even though truth is important in these moments. No, he moves in. That's the miracle of the incarnation. This doesn't mean that he always brings the healing we want either, okay? That doesn't mean he always brings the healing we want, but he always does the work we need the most in our life. I don't know why this is, but almost every time I've preached recently, I've got some passage about people who are blind, okay? And if you don't know, I have a cornea disease and I'm legally blind in one eye. And it's good for me. And it comforts me. Because sure, I've been prayed over. I mean, many of you have prayed over my eyes. My eyes have been touched by Christians and some of the most best doctors in the world. Yeah, I haven't got the healing I've longed for. And I read these passages, and I'm like, oh, Lord, that you would touch me like that. And he can do it. I don't doubt it. I would say, yes, Lord, to this. 
But you know what's happened? I've got the healing my heart's needed. Because I've, my faith has been strengthened. My love for Jesus has grown. My confidence in the character of God has become strengthened in these moments. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. Oh, how I long to see the way that some of you see. One of my kids at home, we always have to ask her to read the description on everything on the TV because the other three of us do not have great eyesight, okay? I have a friend, he brags about having 20 over 15 eyesight. I'm like, that's not even fair, right? (laughs) But the reality is this, that even with my place of lacking, God gives me spiritual sight into his character and his love and his care for me. I'm hopeful you'll look at life the same way. I think what we learn is this, from this passage and probably all the miracles leading up to this in Matthew's gospel, where faith is, Jesus is there too. He always is. I mean, that's the gospel, right? In Matthew 8 and 9, we see all sorts of moments of faith. We see desperate faith touching Jesus' garment. We see little faith, cowards on the sea. We see friends' faith bringing the paralyzed man to Jesus. We see reckless faith, Jairus outing himself in front of all the other religious leaders. And in each instant, we see Jesus is there. And once again, these men's faith has put them face to face with Jesus. And he loves when people think he can meet their needs. So he heals them. He says, may it be done according to your faith. One translation says it this way, become what you believe. That's a beautiful way to translate that. Because isn't faith about that? Isn't faith about our becoming more like Jesus? Faith in Jesus is always about belief becoming reality in our life. Jesus knows their faith. And that's a great comfort to me this morning. And he opens their eyes and think about what they saw. Think about it. The first face they had seen, maybe ever, but definitely in a long time, is the face of the one they cried for mercy. The face of Jesus. That's awesome. Men who had been blind had been given the spiritual gift of sight before they were given the physical gift of sight. Their eyes had longed to be open for a long time. And now the one who was the savior of the world was standing face to face with them. Their hearts already knew who he was, but their eyes got to see the evidence of his grace and his mercy in their life. And that's the freedom faith brings because that's what faith does. When we have faith that's freeing in our lives, we'll see Jesus at work, right? It won't always be immediate like that. It won't always be like, man, I see it right now. But as you look back through your life and you see those moments where you got to the end of yourself, the bottom of yourself, and you just said, Lord, yes. You can look back and say, God, this is how you are working for my good and for your glory, even in this instant. We can be sure of that. And after this, Jesus says, don't tell anyone. We don't really have time to go into it. It's interesting because they tell everyone. And so were they disobedient in that moment? Or were they just so excited about Jesus or was it this combination of both? But Jesus doesn't say, hey, I'm gonna heal you based on future obedience either. No, he's just that good. He steps in and he loves them where they're at. The section of miracles in Matthew ends with a mute man who's demon possessed coming to Jesus. He couldn't speak, 
Jesus cast the demon out. And the people are amazed, but the Pharisees start to ask questions. They start to slander Jesus. They say he only can do this because he has a prince of demon in him. And it's interesting because other people say, we haven't seen anything in Israel all of like this. And what's happening in Jesus's 10th miracle in this passage is all these miracles have moved Israel to this precipice of faith, this threshold of faith. People know Jesus is a prophet. Some have come to believe he is the Messiah, but now they need to believe that he truly is who he says he is. He is God. The leadership rejects Jesus. They don't deny the power of Christ. They just deny where his power comes from. And it's here in the ninth chapter of Matthew that he confronts the reader with something else. Some have called it the 11th miracle of Matthew's gospel. And that 11th miracle is after reading all this, do you believe that Jesus is who he said he is? Do you have faith and belief that Jesus is the son of God? You can side with the leaders and you can say, no, he's a liar or he's a lunatic or best he's demon possessed. Or you can allow Jesus to heal your speechlessness and confess that he truly is Lord and become the miracle itself. I mean, that's what Jesus does. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be what? Saved. I mean, you could be the 11th miracle in this passage today. This passage shows God's authority or effects over this, the curse that the world has fallen into because of sin. Everything from blindness to death is included in these miracles. And Jesus has authority over all these things, but more so, Jesus has authority to bring spiritually dead people to life. And I think the invitation of the 10 miracles in Matthew's gospels that we've seen so far is to actually see ourselves in these miracles. We're invited to see what faith can do because we have to see ourselves as lepers isolated from community. We have to see ourselves as the mother-in-law lying sick in the bed, unable to do what she loves to do because of a fever. We have to see ourselves as the coward when the storms of life come and Jesus saying, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? We have to see ourselves as less left for dead and oppressed by evil. We gotta see ourselves as spiritually paralyzed and in need of forgiveness. We have to see ourselves as sick, desperate to just touch the cloak of Jesus, knowing just to touch him, we could be healed. We have to see ourselves as a sick child, left for dead, raised to dead in life by Jesus. And we must see ourselves as blind and mute because of the curse of sin that we've all experienced. And when we see ourselves as those people, when we realize just how bankrupt we really are, we like the blind man will come with whatever faith we have to Jesus. And we'll say, have mercy on us, son of David. And he can do so. Why? Because he was faithful or faithless. He went to the cross on our behalf. He paid a price for us. What God's love is free for anyone who would accept it. It costs Jesus everything, right? And it was on the cross that he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He took our sin and our shame upon himself and he was buried in a tomb and he rose again so that sinners and sufferers can know how much he loves us. And we can have faith in him. We can experience his grace, his mercy and his forgiveness today. And it's in those things, those areas, those moments that our faith is strengthened. Friends, the cross isn't just good for salvation though. Yes, 
It's the saving our souls need. But we can be sure that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is so real that our faith today is not in vain. And our faith brings real freedom. Because why? Jesus comes to the greatest place of our oppression. And when he comes, he touches those, us in those places that we find ourselves at his face, bowing at his feet. And my prayer today is that you would experience his steadfast love, his grace, and his mercy. And may we realize that the 11th miracle is the best miracle. The miracle that sin and death has been defeated by Jesus. And anyone who repents and believes in that, that's good news. We belong to Jesus. Because of the cross, he makes us his kids. We've been adopted in his family. And we can live out of that identity. The blind men were probably tempted to say, we're blind men who've been healed by Jesus. It's a great testimony. But they were more than that. They were his. They were his kids. They were adopted into his family. They were objects of his love. And it's when we live out of that identity that our faith becomes more real. Let's pray together. So the band comes at both campuses. Just want to ask some questions for reflection right now. I probably don't even have to ask this because some of you got there along the way, but maybe you would allow yourself for a moment to just think about that place of pain, the source of guilt, the source of shame in your life, the source that you long for healing, the thing you wish was different. And if Jesus was here today and he asked the same question of why, man, do you believe I'm able to do this? What would your answer be? And if you have doubt, that's okay. Like Jesus can handle that doubt, just be honest. Handle Thomas's doubt just fine. He can handle yours. But hopefully we're moving to a place where we can say with the blind man, yes. It puts us at the face of Jesus. And then we would end though with Lord. And we find ourselves at his feet today. And we said, that's the place to be. Father, thank you so much for every person in this room. Thank you for the worship we've experienced. Thank you that you give us faith. The faith is always a gift. Lord, thank you for the people at Cove. And Lord, if there's anyone in this room who needs salvation this morning, who you're calling to be saved, I pray you would do it. That you give them faith for the first time. Real faith, saving faith. It's a gift that you would change them. And for those of us who experienced that, that we would see how freeing our faith is and how much more precious than gold it is. And Jesus said, you would begin to meet people at their places of oppression this morning. I pray these things in your name, amen.